Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. We're continuing where we left off. It is uh, it's April 3rd, 2022. We're continuing with the thought of the week in prayer. All right. Here we have the thought of the week that opens with a verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, that's the beginning of the phrase, we now come to a contrast in the text after hearing the bad news from Adam. We really needed one because there is nowhere for us to go without divine intervention. And it is only divine intervention which brings the contrast. Not only are we lost in a state of sin, but we cannot save ourselves. We must get to the place in our knowledge of our situation where we agree with God and see ourselves as absolutely lost and without hope. If we think there is the slightest ray of hope aside from divine intervention, we will try to leverage that to seek a relationship with God. The result, however, will be rejected we will be rejected by God, and the wrath of God will remain on us. That's from John 3.36. Generally, this revelation of our true condition before God comes as a surprise to us. This bad news is usually not accepted with joy. However, it should be because we are hearing from God, and we are learning the truth about ourselves. This knowledge should lead us to the desperation of the soul where we look to God for help. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Says Paul in Romans 7:24. Only then can we begin to understand and appreciate the solution God graciously provides. And that is the thought of the week, and I'd like to offer a a simple commentary on that. Um, the one phrase from John 3, 36, why would we, would we be rejected by God? Why would the wrath of God remain on us? Well, it's certainly not because we're not good enough. By no means. It will be because we have rejected his free gift given to us by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Salvation is free. It costs nothing. It doesn't take time, money, study, or any kind of effort. It's definitely not a matter of trial and error, nor is it a behavior modification program. How could God say it more plainly than he already has? Salvation is a free gift from God. We are invited into an eternal relationship with God. All we need to do is make a decision to, to choose in a moment of time. I hope this is your choice to believe and trust in the Lord for your salvation, for the salvation of your soul. And that is my commentary. Amen. I'll turn it over to Doug for prayer. All right. Um, do anyone have a special prayer request to have on their hearts? Yeah, just yeah, we're going to keep uh, doing prayer. 
And and also okay. so Jewel and um just remembering Corinne and Cliff are still working on trying to find a place to live. Okay. Well I just talking about uh on the week we like to comfort those who are needed in prayer. Father, we like to give special prayer requests, Father, to those who are special needs, those who are struggling, Lord. Father, we ask you to look over those who are in sick, Father. We ask you, Lord, to watch over those who are in need, Father, for their transition to be moving, Father. We ask you, Lord, Father, as we are ambassadors to Christ, to allow the Holy Spirit to work on those who are here to talk the best, Father, and allowing them to believe that Christ is the living God, and also to give us salvation through him, Father. We ask, we ask you, Lord, to allow the Spirit to teach us all wisdom and guidance, Father, as we hear your word, Father, to threaten us, Father, to let us know who, who and what you are, Father, through the written word. Father, we ask you, and also, Lord, we ask you to look over those who are suffering through the war in Russia, Father, to protect those who are in harm's way, Father, in the countries of Ukraine, Father. We ask you, Lord, to, to bless us, Father, bless those who are in need, bless those who are in, in, in want, Father. We ask it to Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave and Dwight. We appreciate that. <clears throat> We're continuing uh, where we left off in our... Um, John 17 text it reads uh, I am coming to you now but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them and your notes as Jesus prepares to face the toughest time of his earthly life he begins it with prayer he finds comfort in prayer and it strengthens his resolve to go to the cross there is an enduring example to us as we are faced with living in a world that is antagonistic toward Christians. Th that strong desire <clears throat> and love to please the Father and to finish the work is what we should emulate by the Spirit's power. Christ was willing to go to the cross and suffer under the weight of God's wrath for us. What we do in life is relevant to the Father's eternal purpose. And I think as we begin to look at this verse and try to get into the detail of it, that's the thought. What we do here and now matters to God. It's relevant. And just as Christ had to finish the work and His will for us is the same that we have we're here because we have work to do god does allow us to partner with him in that effort and that is the accomplishment of the father's plan so let's dig in we got a lot of things to cover let's see how far we get so he says i am coming to you now literally jesus will be leaving this world before tomorrow sunset imagine it Imagine you knew exactly the time and the date of your departure. Christ did. But he understood it not morbidly, thinking, oh, woe is me that I'm leaving, I'm dying. 
That wasn't his thought. His thought was, this is the Father's will for my life. If I have to die, well, he knew he had to die, but I'm saying it more in terms of us. When we're called upon to leave this life, then so be it. If that is God's will, then I am satisfied with his will over my life. If we look at John 18, we know that this is the case. This, we're not talking about years from now. We're talking about the next day. Christ is going to die. He's literally leaving here. So as soon as he finished praying, this is John 18.1, which is right after the prayer. He says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So this is something Judas understood. He's, this is where they're going to go. <clears throat> this is where I'll lead the attachment of temple guards and chief priests and all those who were going to collect Christ and bring him, arrest him. And this literally, this process would begin uh, and end for Christ as he breathed his last breath and he died. He knew this. So this is, when <clears throat> Jesus says, I am coming to you now, well, he, he, he's not kidding by saying that. He's literally coming soon, very, very soon. Point B in our notes. Once Jesus leaves, he will not set foot again on the earth until the second coming. Just imagine, that's so far, if we were counting, we were counting over 2,000 years since Christ left here. So he would not be here again. He would not set foot on this earth until the second coming. Now, at the rapture, some people confuse the second coming and the rapture, but they are two distinct events. The rapture, Jesus will not touch the earth. If we look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, we see the rapture. And this is, um, first this, I'm going to turn to it just so we can at least say what the verse says. And, and that could be part of our understanding of how this works. 16 and 17 says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Okay, so he's coming down with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive, who are still alive after all, right, are and are left will be caught up together. Notice where we are, the dead will rise, right? That's what we saw in the previous verse. The dead will rise. And then we will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And where, where are we going to be? Is the Lord coming here? Is he setting up his kingdom? Is he going to reign? No. To meet the Lord in the air. And so... We will be with the Lord forever. So he's coming to the atmosphere of the earth. He's coming here to get us, but he does not come to the earth and he does not set his foot on the earth. So 
it's different coming. He's coming to get us. Those who are the dead, notice, in Christ, not the dead of all ages. Only those who are in Christ. It's a special resurrection for us, the church. Point C in our notes. There is no hesitation in Jesus' mind. He speaks of death as a transition <clears throat> from one place to another. And I say, is that our reality? I don't want to get morbid here about death. I, I don't want people to think, oh, we're going to die. And how horrible that is. I won't be able to watch Netflix anymore or all these things people do that they find so much enjoyment in. But I'm saying, what's your reality? Are you ready to leave here? And do you understand that leaving here is a transition? And Jesus' mind, he speaks of it. He doesn't say, well, you know, it is very sad in my mind right now. What was tough for Jesus wasn't death. It was the thought that he was going to be judged for our sins by the Father. He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But if not, and if it's your will, then I'll go. I'll go ahead and drink the cup. I'll go to the cross. I'll die. I'll be judged for the sins of the world. That's what gave Christ uh, some pause. And there we saw the humanity of Christ and understanding what he had to undergo and what it was going to take. Yeah, it was tough. It was hard. And in the Psalms, it says he roared when those sins hit him. He screamed when he was being judged for our sins. And it was tough. That was it. He was getting ready to undergo that, as I said in the opening. It was the toughest part of his earthly ministry while he was here. It was this, when he went to the cross. But it was not death. It wasn't his physical death that caused him angst. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, we have very similar reality that Christ had. Let's read it. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 uh, through 8. Therefore, we are always confident and know. Here, here's that word that we were talking about before. And I, we've got to stop here and just, just pause for a second. Because if you're not confident, then you don't know. You, you, you could panic and freak out, as today is more in terms of what people think. When it comes to death. You know, it's interesting as we think about death for some of us. Some of it, some of us, it comes suddenly. We, we didn't even know it was going to hit us, but all of a sudden we're gone. We're, we're into eternity. But for others, there are signs along the road that say, oh, things are happening. Your body's wearing out. As Peter said, this body I'm in is wearing out. Peter understood this. Why? Because there were signs all along the road that told Peter that he was soon to depart. But we don't know how we're going to depart. We don't know in what way. But here's one thing we do know. We are confident and know that as long as we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith and not by sight. There it is, verse 7. 
we live, we conduct our lives by faith. Faith in what? In God's word, not by sight. Sight is what seems right, what feels right, what looks right to us, what other people say is right. That's sight. But we don't live by that. That's not how we conduct our lives. That's not how we, we function as Christians. We live by faith, what God has told us. So if he told us that we can be absent from the body, here it is in verse 8. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Well, why wouldn't we prefer to be at home with the Lord? He's the Lord. He's, this is who we find our identity in. This is where home really feels like, like we, it, in, it wraps us. This is where we belong. This is what God made us for. If we're ever talking about niche orientation and how we, you know, what really feels right, some people think of it as a job, you know, oh, if I get that job that I really like now, I'm, I'm functioning in the way that I was meant to be, you know, they feel real uh, oriented to whatever it is they're doing. Well, in the same way, when we get to the heavens, when we, when we get to the third heaven and we're in Christ, that's the, we're going to feel like, wow, now we have arrived at the purpose for why I even exist. This is why I'm here. I feel this is where I belong. This is home. This is what it's saying. If we're confident, not maybe this will happen and maybe it won't. We're confident, he says. And the preference is to be away from the body and home with the Lord. Well, in the world, we're going to have trouble. It's going to be turmoil, difficulty. We're in a, they call it a battlefield. That's not our home. That's not comfort to us. Being at home with the Lord is comfort to us. That's where we want to be. So it says, we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Now notice, at home, this is verse 9. I know that's not in our notes, but we might as well read it. At home in the body or away from it, that's conscious existence. It's not a matter of, well, I'm going to go to, to heaven, but I'm just going to be sleeping for whatever long time Christ comes. I'm just going to be in a knockout mode. No, we have conscious, whether we're here or whether we're there, it's just a matter of a change of destination. That's it. Nothing more. To be absent from the body is to be home or present with the Lord. That's what to be absent from the body means for us. It's The only sleeping that occurs is that of our body. We don't have actual use of our body anymore on earth. So I just, the reason why I'm covering this, I'm going back to the notes. The reason why I'm saying all this is because the reality that Christ has for some reason is not the reality that we have. When we think about death, this is the reality that we're supposed to have. So then once we don't worry about these things, guess what we can do? We can get on with the business of fulfilling and executing the Father's plan while we're here. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen to me. 
God's got that. Even if we do die, so what? It's a transition from one place to another. That's what it is. It's not the end of life. It's not some dark tunnel that we go down and never can, can recover from. It is literally a transition. We can do that. All of us can. We can have confidence like the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm confident about this. I know this is what's going to happen. I'm hoping we have that reality as well. It will give us peace. Point D. We pray to the Father. We can pray to the Father with the same confidence as our Lord. So, you know, think about it. Because praying gave Christ comfort. It allowed him to experience the reality of fellowship with the Father. The fact that he openly is able to discuss these things and pray. We have the same ability in and of ourselves. There's a couple of scriptures around that. Just like we have the reality that when we die, it is a transition. We have the reality that when we pray, we have that fellowship with the Father. The first scripture is in John. 16. Let's look at that. I'm going to move quickly. John 16, 26 and 27 says, says, in that day you will ask in my name. And I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No. The Father himself loves you because he loved me and has and 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 have believed that I came from God. Right. So this is the first one. You can ask for yourself. Jesus is not saying I'm going to go to the Father. Like I'm an intermediary that says, well, you tell me what you want to tell the Father. And then I'll tell the Father on your behalf. No, that's not how it works. Literally, you have direct access to the Father. Jesus says, Don't, I'm not telling you. I'm, I'm going to tell the Father. You're going to talk to the Father. You can have that experience yourself. And then there's 1 John 5, uh, 13. Let's look at that one. 1 John 5, 13, I believe, through 15 or so. Yeah. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Now, if you don't have this confidence, then why would you even pray in the first place? You have to believe that God is there and he hears your prayers. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, this is good, this verse 14. It's good for us when we read some of those other verses in John where it talks about, ask anything you will, and it will be done for you. And people look at that verse and say, you see that? All we have to do is ask for whatever we want, and God's going to give it to us. Well, verse 14 here qualifies our asking. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything in here, according to his will. He's not giving you whatever you want according to your will. That you might be asking from your sin nature. And if you're asking from your sin nature, God's not bound to give you whatever you ask. But he, 
Well, we know that if you ask according to his will, he does hear us. And verse 15 reasons, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Now, you know, whatever we ask here is qualified by according to his will. Of course, the father, he's, he's in the business of accomplishing his plan on the earth. So why wouldn't he um, cooperate with us as we're on the ground in his, while we're trying to fulfill his will? Why wouldn't he give us what we ask for? Give us what we need while we're here in the devil's world? Of course he will. So I like the, verse 15. And if we, he reasons, if we know that he hears us, whatever he asks, we know that we have what we have asked of him. And this is, those are good verses for you to think about, especially before you pray. You, you want to make sure you have confidence. You're not praying God if, and, and oftentimes we do say, Lord, if it be your will, and which is fine to pray that, because sometimes we don't know if it's his will or not his will. For instance, healing, we pray, and ask that God heal someone. But we should be also noting that if it is God's will, well, we don't know whether God's going to heal that person or not. But we, it is our prayer that that person be healed. But sometimes when we pray for things, it is not according to his will. We should note that. All right, so, so that's our first, I am coming to you now. We're not getting very far, but that's fine. Point number two, but I say these things while I am still in the world. So let's go to point A. Since we know that Jesus is also a prophet, we regard his words as the very words of God. Now, so Jesus is praying to the Father. He's saying, I'm saying these things while I am still in the world. He understands where his feet are on the ground, and he's saying, obviously, that his words have definite meaning. These are the very words of God, literally. And we, we got this already from John, where Christ said that the words that he speaks are not his own. They are the Father's speaking in him. So all the words Jesus spoke, obviously, are prophetic and we don't see prophetic as only that which reveals the future, but it is that which is used to help us understand the will and purpose and plan of God, which we could have never known. It's not just about future events. Uh, that, that, you know, when we think of prophecy, people think, oh, well, that means you're going to tell me what happens in the future. No, prophetic has to do with the revelation of God. Just a point to make. So Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says about this, uh, just so we know. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and, at ver and in various ways. So if God spoke, that means revelation, right? God used different means to reveal himself in the past. But in verse two, but in these last days, and we're considered once Christ came, it was the last days. That's how we understand last days. He has spoken to us. He has revealed himself to us 
by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. There it is. The Son is the greatest revelation of God. God is not depending on uh, the lesser means of communication. The greatest revelation of God, bar none, is his Son. It says right here, according to uh, what we just read. So, so that's one thought. Now let's go to point B in our notes. What about us? We are to speak the very words of God as well. And this is 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Let's look at that. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. So it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Notice what our gifts are for. This is important for us to know. Our gifts are not to benefit ourselves, make us feel all puffed up and important. And, you know, okay, everybody's got to listen to what I say because, because of me, you know. No, no, no. It's to serve. Now, now, even the word minister means you serving others. Right? They got it all backwards in the world. What? Everybody's waiting on a minister hand and foot. Really, the minister's job is to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. See, we have a responsibility, a trust. That's what a steward is. Somebody who has received a calling for a particular reason that God wants him that, to communicate this. In verse 11, if anyone speaks, and here, these are the words right here. If anyone speaks. Now, you know, not everybody will have a gift where they are required to speak. Some gifts are functioning in different ways. It's not just every person who is a Christian is now supposed to be a speaker. But now, of course, there is an obligation that we have to, to go out and give the gospel, to be ambassadors of what we have received, that is salvation. But not everybody's gifted to speak. But in, if anyone does speak, it says they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And it can't be more clear than that. I mean, God is saying, if you're going to speak for me, I need you to speak my words, not yours. I need you to tell them what I said, not what you think. It is important that we speak the very words of God. Now, you, you'll notice often when I'm writing and if you look at some of the thoughts of the week or wherever you've seen it, not only do I quote what the Bible says, but I usually intersperse what the Bible says right in the words that I'm speaking, that I'm writing. The word of God is in there. Why? Actually, you know who taught me that? It was from reading Schaefer. Schaefer did that. And I thought that was so powerful that he used the words of God right in his thoughts. They were right there, evident in his thinking. So by reading him, I adopted those same principles. But if, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. He's, now he's getting into other areas. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power 
forever and ever. Amen. So those are some interesting verses. A lot to be said. I know I'm uh, I'm going probably overboard on all these verses, but hopefully it's okay. Point C, Jesus is praying to the Father, but I can see that the disciples were in earshot. And this is, when I think about this, it's John 16, 4 and 5. So when I say he's praying to the Father, he said, I'm saying these things while I'm still in the world. So not only is he saying, is he praying to the Father, but the disciples are still sitting there. He just finished his discourse at the end of John 16. Uh, so And they were right there, listening and even asking questions of him. So it's not like he said, go out of the room because I'm going to pray now. No, they were still within earshot of, of him. So they were hearing these prayers as well. And notice he's praying for them. He starts off praying for them. And this, if we look at John 16, 4 and 5, we see something similar. Let's, let's see why I brought that verse here. John 16, 4 and 5. He says, I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks, where are you going? So, so Jesus says, I, I told you this, <coughs> and I'm telling you now because I'm leaving you. I didn't tell you before, because, and, and what did he tell them? What's in context here? It's about the persecution that's coming. Yeah. And even 16.1 starts out, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. And falling away means they'll be dispersed. And that they will fragment and leave. And people are saying, I'm going home. I'm done. No, you got work to do. As I warned you that all of these things can happen. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. So this is, as Jesus is talking to him. And, but he was providing security for them. He was providing the protection they needed. So he, he didn't have to go over all these details. But now he's leaving. He's getting ready to leave. And he's now thinking that I got to tell them and, and I'm praying for protection for them and so forth. So that's the thought here. The disciples were right there. That's the thought. And point D Jesus gave explicit instructions on the new dispensation and the building of the church. There will be challenges ahead, as we just discussed. But we have this instruction in writing. That's one thing we do have. It's not only did um, <clears throat> those early uh, members of the church age not have these things in writing, but we do. All of Christ's words and all the things that we read in the New Testament were committed to writing. God revealed to us, just like he did the Mosaic Law, how important was that, that God committed it to writing. He said, I want it written in a book. And this became the Old Testament scriptures that we have today. Uh, it preserved for us. So that's why... When we have challenges, when we have difficulties in the word, in the world, it is the word of God that 
should be our confidence and our trust in it because that is the reality of God. Point number three, we're moving forward. We're almost done. We just got a few points left and we have good timing. So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Now, the first point is we discussed uh, the my joy here spoken of earlier. Now, why <laughs> some of this I, I actually borrowed from what we covered before, especially these five points. I borrowed it from where we spoke about joy a year and a half ago. As I reviewed that information, I thought, okay, this is appropriate, and I don't have to reinvent it. I can just add whatever I want to add to it, but I can use this as a foundation. So, what did we talk about a year and a half ago when we were in John 15? Let's look at it. Uh, the first point is my joy. Jesus, Jesus derived joy from his execution of the Father's plan. If we love him like he loved the Father, his joy can be in us. And that's John 15, 10, and 11. I think it might be good for us to read John 15, 10, and 11, just so we can get the context of why we're talking about it this way. So John 15, 10 says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. <clears throat> I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So really, it's very similar to the verse we have now. It's important. It's an important feature of what we have from the Holy Spirit while we're here in the world. It's an important feature. Why? Because the, of the emphasis. So keeping the commands, which is all the stuff that we just read, like in 16.1, I'm telling you all these things so that you don't fall away, that you have love for one another, that you trust one another, that you are devoted to one another, just like you're devoted to me. Those things are important. And if not, Jesus would not be reiterating them and, and emphasizing them. So keeping his commands is not the Mosaic law, just so you know. We've covered all that when we went through these verses. He's not telling them go back to the temple and go back to the Pharisees and the scribes and keep the law. He's not, none of that. Because a new dispensation is dawning. And so all those instructions about the Holy Spirit coming, what they should be doing, all of that is a part of keeping the commands that Jesus had. And love, being devoted to, if you know, Believing his words, trusting in his words, keeping his words, guarding them are important because they're getting ready to go, as we said, through the emotional roller coaster. They're very close to it now. Jesus is getting ready to die. Well, he's getting ready to be arrested. So he says, I've told you this so that my joy will be in you and that your joy may be complete. So that's where I'm getting all of this from. It's very similar to the verse we're in in the prayer where Jesus is praying to the Father. Point number two, joy. We said it was kara, right? And that's the Greek word. It means cheerfulness. That is calm, delight, gladness, greatly, exceeding joy, right? 
and joyfully, joyfulness, joyous. All those are ways that word kara is used in scripture. So point three, we could say that Jesus told us this because he wants us to bear the Father's fruit. And that's in John 15, because remember, that's what Jesus said. I'm telling you this, that you can bear much fruit. It's to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit and so forth. We covered that. This is also true, right? However, the result of fulfilling the Father's purpose brings joy to our hearts. It brings a cheerfulness, a calm delight, a satisfaction that we are fellowshipping in the Father's eternal purpose. Now, this is important. This is point number three. So, it helps us understand how we get joy. Joy does not come in uh, without uh, extraneous circumstances. It comes with those things. You might say, well, joy is the, you know, calm and peace. All of that is the absence of problems in your life. I know we'd like to think of it that way. That's not the case. Joy is the result of us facing those challenges with the confidence that the Lord has given us. That is what gives us a calm and a peace as the Holy Spirit sheds that abroad in our hearts. Not only does it come with the understanding, but it comes with the assurance that God got this. He's, he has us in his hands. So no, no matter what happens, no matter what the world throws at us, we are able to have joy. <clears throat> this is something the Holy Spirit gives us. This is where the world will see us and, and not realize the pressure that is putting on us only brings us joy. The suffering is, a, is related to suffering for Christ. And what do we do? We parlay that, the Holy Spirit parlays that into a confident resolve that we have in our hearts. A joy is re- closely related to peace. And then point five, joy then is a calm, resolute notice because it has to be resolute for us because we understand and we accept, we believe what God has told us about the future that we have. It's a, it's, it's a calm, resolute cheerfulness derived from our steadfast love. And what is that? Commitment and devotion to the Father's plan and our execution of its commands. Right? And as we go through and fulfill those things that God wants us to do, it brings joy to us because we know we're walking in God's will directly fulfilling the plan that he has for us that brings joy to us and this is a joy that we must say has to be supernatural because it is not something we manufacture it's not like God just telling us oh just calm down don't worry don't worry that's not it has to do with us understanding his plan and understanding his purpose even in the face of circumstances that are that the world would consider negative as it says the world hates you the world will treat you this way because of me jesus said point five 
Love and joy gives balance to our lives, just as learning to walk, right? So we need it. We God, you would imagine, okay, God, the Holy Spirit could say just, you know, I will handle all these things. I'm going to tell you the, the doctrine to understand that. But no, there's something that God gives us that we can not only be here in the battle, on the battlefield, but that we can derive joy from it. We could be singing hymns and, and understanding and reinforcing those things in our minds as God, you know, no matter what happens. And some of them, Christian martyrs, as I read in Fox's Book of Martyrs, in, in, while they were being torn to bits by animals, they were singing hymns and praising God. While they were being tortured, uh, crucified, they were singing hymns and had joy in their hearts, even though they knew they were going to a certain death. It still, God gave, the Holy Spirit gives us this supernatural joy where we understand His will. We're confident in our what's going to happen to us. And while I may be giving extreme examples, uh, joy comes even if we are not giving our lives. It comes in all circumstances in our lives. Point B, the full measure of joy. Now that word we discussed before, we had some fun with this word, it's called pleroma. And this is the verb, pleroo, to make full, to fill up, i.e. that is uh, to fill to the full. Cause to abound, to furnish or supply liberally. Uh, I abound, I am liberally, liberally supplied to render full, that is complete. And that's Thayer. He, that's from the Thayer's uh, Greek lexicon. Point C, our com completing Christ. Well, that's the word, you know, to be the full measure of joy. It's, it completes, it's to fill up. Remember, we, talk, we just went through the definition. So our completing Christ, or our, we are the fullness of Christ. Well, that leads to Christ completing or being the fullness of the Father's plan, right? Christ completes the Father's plan by bringing many sons into glory. That's what we do by completing him. And that's, that's how fullness is achieved by Christ executing the plan and uh, Christ executing his plan given to him by the Father executes the Father's plan. And point D, Christ's attitude of joy while completing the Father's plan leads to our attitude of joy in executing our role in the world. Remember, we are his body, right? So, so this is, <clears throat> we think about the fullness part of it. God is important. It is important to God that we have the proper attitude. It's not and joy is an attitude given to us by the Spirit, but it's not just you know as I said derived through human means. It's derived through our understanding of the Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, who has made these things known to us, helped us to orient to the reality that God has for us with joy, not just orient to it or or suck it up and live with it. But with joy, these things, God has given us joy. 
as we execute the role. It's not just, oh, after everything is done, we get to heaven, there'll be great joy. No, he's talking about why we're here on the battlefield. Point E, my joy. Instead of being humiliated, shamed, and paralyzed in fear, this is what happened to Christ. It says, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Christ endured the cross because he had that joy. It was important that his attitude while going to the cross was the proper attitude. This speaks of us. We're talking about when we're going through our life here in the world that we have the proper perspective about what we're going through and why. God wants us to, that's important to God, not just just do what I say, like the law, right? It's, I need you to do what I say, yes, but I want you to understand why. And I want you to understand how I'm doing it and what it's for. All of that is a part of it. That's for the joy set before him. That's Hebrews 12, 2. And you can take a look at that. But point F, point F, joy from the apostles when we walk in truth in this world. So there's another way that we understand joy. That's, I'm going to read 1 John 1, 7 through 10. Let's, let's take a look at it. 1 John 1, 7 says, well, Let's see. Actually, we want to go earlier than that. We want to look at four. And then we can jump to seven. So four says, we write this to make our joy complete. Now, you know, <clears throat> we, we look at the apostles, and now they're saying it is our joy. And this is John, who is an apostle. And he says, our, meaning other, me and the other apostles, that our joy may be complete. So obviously they have a joy that they want to share with us. And how we know where they're getting the joy is God, the Holy Spirit. That's the source of it, where he has made some understanding to them as they are going through troubles. John is saying, for sure, this stuff is true. If you go back to verse 2, he says, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And he says, we write this to make our joy complete. He's, that we can have fellowship with the Father and the Son. If we have fellowship with the Father and the Son, then John's joy and the other apostles would be complete. Let's read 7 through 10 because he gives some admonition about how we can have this joy and fellowship, right? Really, it's around fellowship because of, because of the fellowship, joy is derived from that. So I'll start reading. I'll start at 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Well, that won't accomplish joy because we're being deceptive. 
We're claiming to have fellowship, but really we're walking in darkness. That's not going to cut it. It's about attitude. you got to have the proper attitude. It's not just, oh, well, um, I'm walking in the light, but you know different. That's wrong. Point, uh, the next one, let me point. Verse 7. <laughs> but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Okay, so this goes back to the joy that John wanted us to have. He wanted us to have the fellowships, which if we get the fellowship, then we'll have the joy. So if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. In other words, we have achieved that. And how do we do it? By walking in the light, as he is in the light. By conducting ourselves according to light. What's light? Goodness, righteousness, and truth, according to Ephesians chapter 5. The light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Well, if we walk in that, then we have fellowship. That There we have it right there. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So we, we're not walking in the light. We're, we're, we're sinless because we're walking in the light. We're talking about attitude here. And if we have the proper attitude, what does it say? The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We have that prized thing that John is trying to convey to us. Fellowship. If we claim to be without sin, well, now we're going to say we we don't need uh, Christ. And these were some of the Gnostics. They They said sin doesn't matter. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, so we need to walk in the light, which is according to goodness, righteousness, and truth. But if we deny the truth, then obviously that is denying what the Spirit has brought. Because the Spirit is the, the Holy Spirit is what, He's the one that facilitates fellowship. It's with the Father and the Son. But it is in the power of the Spirit that we have that fellowship. If you deny, that, like it says in verse 8, you claim to be without sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, well, okay. Now, obviously the Spirit has brought some sin to our mind. And now it's God is saying, you got to maintain fellowship. Remember, what should you do? You should confess it. You, you, you name that sin. You, you cite that sin. You, you admit that sin. And what does God do? Well, it's not about sin in the first place. It's only that you, it's your attitude that's the problem. So you confess it. And God does his the same work he did in seven by you walking in the light. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. He purifies us. And forgiveness here is not about salvation. The forgiveness here means reconciliation. That's what it means. Back, You're back in fellowship with God. That's the goal. So those, <clears throat> those, this is John saying he wants us to have this joy. How do we get it? We get it through fellowship with the Father and the Son. That's interesting, as we have covered those verses in the past. But just as it relates to joy, I think it's appropriate now. G, your joy, in our, back to your notes, 
as we grow in grace, Christ's life is more and more manifest in us. Just as our love increases or is made perfect, that's 1 John 4, 16 and 17, <clears throat> our joy also intensifies or is made full or complete. So just notice, as we grow in love, we grow in joy as well. Our joy continues to rise just as our love and understanding rises and our devotion to the Father's plan, our motivation and dogged determination, I want to fulfill the Father's will for my life, come what may, so our joy increases as well. Point H in our final point, this joy does not originate with us. It is the fruit or result of the Holy Spirit. And I got a couple scriptures in that regard. This one is uh, Romans 15, 13. Let's look at that. <coughs> Sorry. Romans 15 <coughs> and 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. <coughs> Excuse me. So that as you trust in him, so that you may, may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's read that again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it is important to God as we go through this, what our attitude is. Our, his care and concern over us doesn't just extend to our provision. It extends to how we think about ourselves while we're going through the plan on the, on the battlefield. And then Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let's read that. <clears throat> 5, 22 and 23 says... But the fruit of the Spirit is where, you know, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. This, these are all things that happen to people under pressure. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, peace, joy. That's the result of, and I can continue with gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So there you have another verse emphasizing joy in the midst of circumstances. And then 1 Thessalonians <clears throat> 4 through 8. Let's just close with that verse. 1 Thessalonians 4. I believe it's 4. No, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 8. Sorry. It says... <clears throat> For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God. <coughs> Sorry. I can't talk all of a sudden. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us. And of the Lord, for you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering. 
here it is, with joy, given by the Holy Spirit. So there it is, especially what we have spoken of and how we understand joy. There it is. And so you become a model to all believers in Macedonia and Archaea. Achaia. I'm saying that wrong. Verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. But why? It speaks for itself. The joy, as he says here, I love it in verse 6. For you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to have to close with that thought, but hopefully you see God's particular care over us, not just in providing for us, but that we have the proper attitude. I mean, it's more than just telling us that we're sons. He sends the spirit of his son into our hearts. The Holy Spirit testifies with our spirits we are children. God could say, well, you know, I'm going to deal with this later. But no, I'm going to make you understand. I want you to understand that you're my children. You belong to me in a special relationship. So God is concerned about your attitude as well. How you think about yourselves. That that be proper in the way as you're going through these things in the world. We're going to close with that thought. We'll continue in John 17 next week. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We appreciate your word. And not only that, we appreciate that part of our understanding your word is that you want us to have joy. You want us to have peace in this world, even though we're going through trouble. You said in this world we would have trouble, but be of good cheer. For you have overcome the world. And we know that no matter what happens, we are in you and we are also overcomers in that stead. So we thank you for your love, choosing us, putting us in the position that we're in <clears throat> so that we can glorify you in this world. It's in Christ's name <clears throat> that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.